Good morning. Thank you. Thank you, AD. We live in a day and age where authority is rejected and personal supremacy is exalted. I was talking to some of our elderly in our congregation recently about the differences between our society today and that of 50 years ago. We came to the conclusion that one of the biggest problems with our society today is a total lack of respect for authority. Everyone is their own king. Now we agree that to a degree the pendulum has had swung too far the other way in days past where authority was so firm and harsh that it caused submission to be ungenuine submission or just lip service, uh, looking good on the outside and submitting to people out of fear but not a love for God or a love for the people above us. But today we live in a culture that says, do whatever you please. The only way to control a society that does not submit to authority is to bribe them. And when that doesn't work out, the society will eventually cry out for authorities to help them because they can't maintain civility. And that is where we're going with our culture. Anarchy eventually leads to dictatorship because the weak eventually cry out for help. So a powerful figure or a body steps up to take control. Really, there's nothing new under the sun, ladies and gentlemen. Man's heart is prone to say, we will not have God rule over us. That is what we do. Today we're going to look at a parable that exposes this depraved condition. We will see also the dramatic differences found in those who know the Lord as their king. When we read through this, and as Mark was reading through it, were you a little shocked? Was there a little bit of difficulty in what you heard? Why did he take away the one mina and give it to the guy that had a lot? Maybe at that point you were like some of us that, and, and me, even the first time I read it, well, that doesn't seem very fair. You ever thought that? That doesn't seem very fair. Why? Rip it from him and give it to the guy that already had a bunch. I think it's because we have backwards thinking. Our minds are totally corrupted. Even by our culture and our society, it's permeating the way you think. You think inside your soul, well, that's not fair. Well, that's because your culture and your society has indoctrinated you with this. Your society and your culture has made you think, that really you are your own king and you can do whatever you want to do. You're independent. Do whatever he, you want. I need to give some background here for this passage so that you can see that what they were going through in this day when Jesus confronted these people is the same problem we have today. And it will help us to understand what the people would have thought when Jesus brings up this parable. Now this has some history in it today. At the beginning of this message, you're going to have a little bit more history than maybe normal, but you need to have it in order for you to understand the passage. The key to understanding this passage is to understand first what the people would have thought when Jesus began to speak. 
And then focus on the main punchline of what Jesus is saying. Jesus often uses common historical settings to frame his stories. He often moves from the familiar to the spiritual. Make something easy so you all understand it. Give you a nice clear illustration of a political maybe thing. And then you would go, oh, okay, I got it, I got it. Now here's the punchline. Spiritual truth. Get it. And that's what he's doing here. Remember, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die. He has just encountered the blind man who he has healed. And he also encountered the Jewish tax collector named Zacchaeus, who Jesus saved. Remember, Jesus has just given a summary of his ministry in the previous phrase when he said, The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. There's a large crowd of people following him. He's walking through Jericho on his way to the final ascent to Jerusalem. And there are three types of people that are following him. The faithful disciples, who are still a little clueless. The uncommitted, but listening. And then, lastly, the outright hostile towards Jesus. There's three types of people there. And Jesus is walking through Jericho about 17 miles away from Jerusalem. And it's an uphill climb all the way to Jerusalem. He's going south, but he's going up. It's a huge mountain, in effect, where Jerusalem is. Jericho was a famous city. Jericho was actually the city where Herod the Great had died. This guy right here. Herod the Great. Y'all know of Herod? He's the one that had all the babies killed, remember? All those two and under. Herod was the great ruler over Palestine during the birth of Jesus. By the way, great is his self-given title, Herod the Great. Remember, he was the one who had killed those babies, so he wasn't great in the eyes of God, but he was great in his own eyes. Herod was a very wicked man, but Herod died while Jesus was exiled from Jerusalem in Egypt. You remember, right? All right. Herod was the king or ruler over this area right here in Jerusalem. If you look, that right up there is the Sea of Galilee, that little white spot there. That's where Jesus walked on the water, right? Down here is the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea. And that right there is Jericho, and there is Jerusalem. All right, the Dead Sea. All right, so you get an idea. So this is basically Palestine. This is what Herod was over. Herod the Great was appointed to this position by another guy who was the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus. There he is. There's Caesar Augustus. The Roman Empire was controlled. It controlled pretty much the, the most of the populated earth. Ooh, world. Boy, you, these uh, graphics things on, online, when you look at them on your computer, they look really good. And then you put them on this, and it's like they're gone. But you get the gist. You see the boot. Everybody sees the boot, right? All right, so the boot just kind of stands out. That, that's Italy. All right, so, and over here, over here is where I was talking about, Palestine. This is Israel, okay? Wow, we're getting geography today. Isn't that cool? All right, so... The, all the shaded area is where Caesar and the Roman Empire basically maintained. They were over this area, all right? 
So Caesar appointed Herod over that area. You get it? Everybody got it? How about it? All right. Now, when Herod the Great died, there was a huge struggle for power between Herod's sons, Philip, Archelaus, and Antipas. You got all those names. You better get them all. I'm going to have a test at the end. A fourth son, he had a fourth son, um, but this guy, he died. As a matter of fact, he was murdered by Herod because he thought he was being the traitor. So Herod had four sons. The guy that died, there you go. Yeah, this guy. Archelaus, there he is. There's Archelaus. He looks mean, doesn't he? Yeah, that's who the parable is about. This is the nobleman that would have been in their mind. Very important. Herod Antipas and Philip. That's all I got for Philip, man. That's a coin. Okay. To get the gist, Herod the Great had stated that Archelaus would be his successor. He's going to be the king. He had appointed Archelaus ruler over more than 50% of his territory. But because of the horrible wickedness of Archelaus, there had been a large group of citizens that hated Archelaus. And had, because after all, he had murdered approximately 3,000 Jews at his first Passover. He just had them exterminated. And so the Jews in that area hated Archelaus. So when Herod dies, what do you think the citizens did? We don't want this guy ruling over us. As a matter of fact, when Archelaus went to Caesar and said, Okay, make me the king. My dad said I'm supposed to be the king. He took a trip to get his kingdom. There was also a group of people that went after him. Actually went before him and beat him there. Philip, his brother, and a bunch of Jews. All of them went and they said, we don't want this guy to be king over us. You understand? So what did Caesar do? Well, Caesar said, okay, he's not king. He's kind of king in trial. He's king on trial. Ooh, that's not good, though. Because guess what that means? He had the authority, just not the title. How do you think Archelaus responded to having the authority but not the title? Not good. <laughs> he was a mean man. <laughs> he came home and he exacted a lot of discipline on those that had gone against him. Now, he never became king. Matter of fact, uh, just a little bit later, he's gone out of the picture. And Caesar steps in and puts somebody else over the whole area. These people had literally told Caesar, we don't want this guy to be our king. So Caesar did not give Archelaus the kingdom, but he gave him the rule for a little while, and that meant trouble. Archelaus came back furious. Remember, in Matthew's account, it says that Joseph was afraid to go into that area. The reason why is because Archelaus had taken over. Why do we want to go in there? He's just as bad as your daddy. He's worse. So they went up to Nazareth. By the way, even though he never received the king, he was a vicious ruler. However, the huge political fight over power would have been 
well known by everyone that Jesus was speaking. When he told this parable, they would say, Oh, noble man, I know who that is. That's Archelaus. That's the king. After all, Herod had died in, that, in Jericho. This was a famous political spot. And as he told this parable, everybody would have went, Oh, yeah, I got it. Don't want this guy to be king over us. This would have grabbed everybody's attention. Now, Archelaus had died years before, but the events would have been very familiar. And one of the main points Jesus was making with the parable was that the people must come under the authority of the king and act accordingly. That was what he was getting at with the parable. Come under the king and act accordingly. Now, you say, come under the king and act accordingly. Archelaus is gone. What's he saying? Well, here's what he's saying. Ultimately, he's shifting. Got him thinking this way? I'm the king. Come under me and act accordingly. Submit to my authority and act appropriate. When I leave, act like you should. Act as if I am your king. There was a real a problem with submission to authority amongst the Jews, right? They absolutely hated the concept of being under a pagan ruling Caesar or anyone associated with him. They would say something like this, Why should we submit to this pagan king? Are you seeing some similarities here? Are we seeing some similarities in our culture? Why should I submit to my boss if he's a pagan that hates God? See? It's a perfect parable to grab us right in our heart and wrench us, isn't it? Submission to authority is not based on whether we like it or not. Whether they do things for us or not. There was hopes that maybe Jesus was the one who would deliver them from this heavy-handed rule of Rome. As we see in Luke 19, 11, it says, While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was coming to appear immediately. So what are they thinking? Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. He's going to give me something and a new kingdom's going to be established, right? But in fact, he was setting them up with this parable because he was going to say, in effect, I'm going to be leaving. Act accordingly. Jesus used this parable to call the people to evaluate their commitment to him. Jesus was not going to tell them, yes, I'm going to set up my kingdom now. He wasn't going to do that. Instead, he was going to tell them, in a sense, I'm leaving while I'm gone. Take advantage of the glorious news you have been given. And use the gifts that I have given you while I'm gone. Today, we see Jesus uses a parable to call the people to step up and live different in light of who they know. There are two main groups, with the first group having kind of a, a subgroup, and we'll see in a second. The two main groups are this, the nobleman's slaves and the nobleman's citizens. We're going to look at both of these groups 
and we'll see that there is this exhortation to think correctly about Jesus found in the description of both groups. The way it will work is we will deal with the first group, the slaves. Then we'll switch to the second group, the citizens. Then we'll go back to the first group, the slaves, and we'll end with the citizens again. We'll talk about this as we go along. First, let's look, the nobleman slaves. So, he, that is Jesus, said, A nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself, and then returned. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas, and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. Again, the kings that the people would have had in mind who were listening were like Herod the Great and Herod Archelaus and Herod Antipas. So they would have associated this nobleman with those kings. However, Jesus is obviously, ultimately pointing to who? Himself. And the disciples were the slaves. So the parable would have started and the people would have thought Archelaus... But by the end of the parable, he switched it, and he's trying to say, Look at me. Submit to me. Act accordingly in light of who I am. By the way, this is a different parable than the Matthew 25 account. When we read through this, did some of you say, Wow, this sounds like the parable of the talents. Did y'all you get that? It's not the same one. That's Matthew 25. This is Luke 19. This is before he gets to Jerusalem. Matthew 25 is while he's in Jerusalem. The last week. Do you understand? All right. Notice the differences. You can see them. There was specific more given to one. Here, all ten get one mina. One mina is a hundred days or three months worth of money for work. In other words, the amount of money that you would earn in a day's labor. So, a hundred days of wages. By the way, here Jesus states, the nobleman gave each of the slaves one mina. You get this, obviously. This was a substantial amount of money. There is obviously a picture here of slaves and masters, right? You see this? That word, by the way, slave, is, guess what? Slave. Yeah, slave. As a matter of fact, whenever you go through the Bible, often it's changed to servant. It shouldn't be. It should be slave. <laughs> Often it's slave. Just stick with the word. That's what it means. Obviously, this is not the same thought of slavery as many of us might have in mind. When it comes to us thinking about slavery, we might think of 150 to 300 years ago and what that slavery was based on. This is different because, after all, look, the nobleman gives his slaves a substantial amount of money and leaves them and says, do what you're supposed to do with it. So there's still an aspect of him being over them, but there's some independence that they go and are supposed to use it. Now, again, in our culture, authority and submission are often considered curse words. Submission to anyone in authority is infringing upon our personal freedoms. Is that not true? That's why the feminist movement has come out. Oh, no! Women submitting to men, that's horrible. It's the most tragic thing you could do. Submission, however, is a biblical concept. Submission to anyone in authority in our culture says, I'm not free. I'm not independent. 
I should be my own Lord. But folks, Jesus never speaks of its submission to authority as inherently evil. We in our church even rebel against authority because we judge those above us as unfit of our submission. Oh, please get this. There is a giant movement out in the world right now where there are house churches everywhere. Now, I know. You're like, "Uh uh-oh, what are you doing? You're stepping on toes. Listen, one of the reasons why the house church movement is so prevalent is because everybody wants to do things their own way. Nobody comes under a submission to an authority. I've got it all figured out. I'm going to do it my way. Let's go start a church so we can do it my way. And then when they meet together, everybody has an opinion. And everybody gets in that room and they say, well, as long as you give me free reign to say whatever I want, then that's okay. It's permeating even the church, ladies and gentlemen. This lack of a desire to submit to authority. Now, I admit, as a whole, the church in America looks pretty rough. But you can't tell me that there aren't Bible expositors in pretty much all cities. They're there. You just need to find them. There are pastors that are teaching the Bible. But submission to authority is a reality and a requirement for being a part of God's kingdom. Christ's kingdom is church. That's why he establishes them. Now, I know at this point you're thinking... Here's Pastor Mike, he's up here saying, submit to me. (laughs) That could be awfully uh, self-gratifying here. That's not why I'm telling you this. I wish I wasn't the one that was saying it, but this is the problem. Our desire is to what? Be our own king. Jesus speaks as if this was normal, though, that we should submit to authorities above us. Folks, when we submit to authorities above us, this is our way of worshiping our king. This is our way of acknowledging Jesus' authority over us. I'm convinced in our culture. We have a hard time with submission and we have a hard time with parables like this because it talks about that. When we really understand what these passages say, we are like cut to the core. What they say is, submit to Jesus. Submission is a God-honoring thing. People are unwilling to submit to anyone, and that includes Jesus himself, which is one of the reasons why this non-lordship concept even has arisen in the church. Just mentally assent that Jesus is your Savior and you're okay. What is that? Live however you want? That's garbage. When you repent and turn to Christ, you turn from being your own king to trusting in him to be your king. He's now your Lord. We don't have to argue about lordship salvation. It's just salvation, isn't it? We often love Jesus for what he can give us, which makes us no different than the ones that were following him then. They wanted a king that could free them from the emperor. We want a king that can keep us out of hell, but we don't want to live for him. Is there not a problem with this? 
And Jesus was the same, addressing the same problem with the people of his day. Jesus says, in effect, with this parable, if you really consider me your king, then act like it. And when I leave, you have a responsibility to exalt the king. <laughs> Live for him. Share the good news of Christ by what you do and what you say. In a little bit, we'll come back to these slaves and see how they did with respect to their responsibilities. But let's look at the next group, the noblemen, citizens, the people of the country. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Boy, is that not familiar? We have a picture of a people who hated their king. This is not only like the people that rejected Herod, Archelaus. It was also the Jews of the day. In just less than a week or two, what were they going to say to Pilate? We have no king but Caesar. Crucify him. This is them, the same people. He's confronting. Listen, folks, the unregenerate heart, the non-born-again heart, they don't want to submit to anybody, much less Jesus. Why would they say we have no king but Caesar? Well, because Caesar was in Rome. <laughs> they could do what they wanted. And they could even manipulate Caesar to get what they wanted by sending delegations and to a degree influence him. That's what they were trying to do with Pilate when they said that. They were trying to manipulate Pilate to get him to kill him, to kill Jesus. Oh, folks, this is what the unregenerate heart is like. They don't want anyone ruling over them. And they feel like they can get something out of Jesus if they do, then they will follow him, but it's only to get something. The human heart is absolutely, absolutely hates submission. Now listen to me closely. That is your heart. That's the heart you were born with. You hate to submit to other people. And I do too. That's who we are until God regenerates our heart. And even then, there is this abiding sin in us that causes us to say these words, that's not fair. It's who you are. Apart from Christ. Folks, when we sin, this is what we are saying. We don't want Jesus ruling over us. Do you understand? Every time you sin, you're saying, I don't want you to be my king. Our submission to the Lord Jesus Christ reveals whether we are truly understanding who he is and what he's done for us. You can look back throughout history, right? And trace the heart of rebellious people. Adam and Eve, right? Didn't want to do what he said. Cain and Abel, Cain, the people of Noah's day, Sodom and Gomorrah, Joseph's brothers, the children of Israel after they were delivered, on and on and on. 
people that don't want to submit to authority. I would venture to say, you want a good, good, clear picture of whether you're born again. You ready? You want to see it? You want a good, clear picture. Are you submissive to authorities in your life? There you go. If you think that you are better than the ones that are above you, and you think you should be ruling the people that are above you, there's a problem. And that's what Jesus is confronting here. It could be argued that the best revelation of a person's heart is their submission to authority. Wow. If you march to the beat of your own drum... You might have a huge problem. If you find yourself rebelling against every authority God has placed in your life, then you might have a huge heart problem. If you always want to lead and complain and complain about everyone who is leading you, then there might be a huge problem in your heart. So you want to see if you're really saved, ladies and gentlemen? This is what the parable is all about. You want to see if you're really saved? I have a radical idea for you. Place yourself under someone else's authority. If you're constantly complaining about your boss or your job or your spouse or your parents or your local officials, you might have a problem. Ryan and I were talking about this. He's like, please don't bring me into this. He's not here, so I can. We were talking about this concerning our children the other day. Ryan made this statement that submission is easy when a person in charge tells you to do something you want to do. Submission is really easy. That is not a problem. But the true test of whether somebody is submissive to authority is when they tell you to do something you don't want to do, and you joyfully do it anyway. Yeah, there you go. It's truth, isn't it? When we're required to do something we don't like, then we really see what our hearts are like, don't we? Now, again, this is not about self-promotion. It's not what it's about. I have people I'm under to also, and this applies to me just as much as you. And by the way, that does not mean that the pastor, this is a democracy. Uh-oh, shocking here, all y'all that are in from the Baptist faith, and this is not a congregational-led congregation. The elders lead. And we don't follow you. Oh, man. Mike, that's hard. Do we want to hear? Absolutely. Are we open? Yes. Are we willing to listen? Yes. But that's not what this is about. God sets up structures for the whole purpose of keeping unity, clarity, and focus on the gospel. That's why he does this. Look, God is in control, ultimately, of this church. He doesn't need me. 
he could take me out in any second. My heart could stop beating and my lungs could stop breathing tonight. And that would be okay because by God's grace, I'd be in heaven. <laughs> he doesn't need me. If events come into my life and I don't like who he is or what he's allowing to come into my life, then I could be rebelling against his authority too. I have to turn from that. If I buck and scream and complain that I, when somebody comes into my church that bucks against my authority, who allowed that person to come into my church to, or our church, to buck against that authority? The sovereign God. <laughs> People actually come in just to be the ones that God is trying to teach me to be humble. Listen, I can't buck against that. I don't want to say what they said. I will not have this king over me. By the way, it's really easy to preach this to others. But it's a whole other thing to live it. Ladies and gentlemen, we can do this to our children so well. We see when they aren't obedient and they don't submit to authority. How many parents in here notice almost every time your child does not submit to your authority? Woo! You can almost see it on their faces, can't you? You know it. Why is it that you know it so well? Because you do it. You know who you are, and you know they're your child. And they have the same heart you do apart from God. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, we can tell our kids all the time. But if we are constantly bucking against the authorities in our lives, then we are ultimate hypocrites. Oh, this one hurt. This one hurt last night. When a bad thing comes in my life and I say, in effect, complain, grumble, grumble, complain. And then my kids do something that goes against my authority and they start complaining. I say, stop complaining. You better obey me. They look at me and go, you hypocrite. The sovereign God just allowed these events to be in your life and you just complained about it. You talk about the sovereignty of God all the time, Daddy. Daddy, you're always talking about God being in control, but then why is it that when we get a little out of hand, you lose your temper, get angry? Oh. Do you get this? Pain, huh? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me closely. Who is king? Not you. Christ. You're required to submit to him, and it should be our delight. He established any authority above us. Now, kids, don't go home and bang your parents with this. You beat your parents with this, you've missed the whole point. You've missed the whole point. God put your parents over you, 
you should joyfully submit to them. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's see how the slaves did. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he has get, had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are in authority over ten cities. The second came saying, your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. The first two examples of the faithful slave are the faithful slaves here. It shows an amazing fruit, an amazing harvest that comes from these guys. One mina turns into ten. That's an a thousand percent profit. Wow! Or 500% profit for the other. The one slave took and was faithful and worked hard and turned the one mina into ten. He understood that the mina was the king's. And he's going to use it to the best of his ability by honoring the king. And it produced great things. Well, the second slave did the same thing. This, ladies and gentlemen, is fruit bearing. Jesus is using this. To illustrate taking what we know about Jesus and what he has done for us and using the gospel for the furtherance of Christ to others. Now again, he's not ultimately talking only about your money. Okay? It's not just about your money. God has bigger things in mind than just your wallet. He's more concerned with what? Your heart. He wants your heart. But he's using this to illustrate. And after all, your wallet often reveals your heart. Your wallet is a good revealer of what's going on. Look, if you know Jesus Christ and what he has done for you, it should make a difference in our lives, correct? While Christ is away, should there be a difference in us? Listen, if you've received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then serving Him and sharing Him through faithful obedience to Him should be your goal. This is what you should do. So what does faithful using of the minas practically look like in the Christian? What does it look like in you? Well, here's what it looks like. You ready? Loving your wife, husbands. That's what it looks like. Wives, submitting to your husbands. That's what it looks like. Children, obeying your parents. If you know the gospel, this is turning the mina into ten. Do you understand? When you obey your parents with joyful hearts, not with one of these. Go clean up your room. Okay. All right, if I have to. <laughs> that is not turning one mina into ten. Employees working hard for their employee, employers. Employees working hard for their employers. Believers laying down their lives for their fellow believers. 
Ladies and gentlemen, when your employer says, can you stay an extra five minutes? You say, yeah, sure. For Christ's sake, sure. Shocking. Not in our culture. If you pay me three times as much, yeah, then maybe. And if you don't, I'm going to pick it. I'm going to demand you to pay me double. If i got to work overtime, you're paying me double. And I want benefits. Lots of them. What's our problem? We don't know Jesus as our king. That's our problem. It isn't one nation under God. I beg to differ. Not returning revile for revile. There's one. That is turning one minor into ten. Loving one another, serving one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, sharing the gospel with one another, working hard to provide for your family, submitting to one another. That's turning one minor into ten practically. You got it? While king's gone, while the king Jesus is gone, this is how we are faithful with the gospel of knowing him. No, Jesus did not use the exact words. But slaves of the king look like the king. We lay down our lives for another, one another. We teach our kids to lay down their lives for one another. This is what faithful slaves do. They serve and submit. That's what they do. Folks, anyone can tell someone else what to do. Anyone can correct, can, can correct someone else. How many of you are good at correcting others? Yeah, good. I like your honesty. Anyone can order someone else to repent. Anybody can do that. Everybody in the room, all of you can do it. I mean, probably everybody in the room has said it to somebody, maybe even this last week. You need to repent. You're really good at saying it to other people. But you want to see what your heart's really about? Place yourself in a position when someone else has to tell you what to do. You get me? Place yourself in a position where you are corrected regularly. <laughs> Anybody like to be corrected regularly? How many like to tell other people that they're wrong? How many of you like to be corrected regularly? Notice the problem here. Then you will see your heart, and you'll see what your heart really is all about. What's your heart really about? Place yourself under someone else. You ask me, why become a member of the church? Here's one. Because you're submitting to other people. You're placing yourself under the accountability of a body and an elder board. 
That's a good thing. What if you don't always agree with me? Neither does my wife. <laughs> but this is your opportunity to turn one mina into ten. If we have a hard time submitting to authorities in our life, then we're ultimately have a wrong view of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what our world's problem is. But these faithful ser servants, these slaves, got it. Look what the unfaithful servant did. Slave. This is good stuff. Are you all enjoying? Even though I'm talking about submission, huh? That's good. Praise the Lord. Good. The unfaithful slaves. Another came saying, Master, here's your mina. <laughs> which I kept put away in a handkerchief for I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man you take up what you did not lay down and you reap what you did not sow he said to him by your own words I will judge you you worthless slave did you know that I am an exacting man taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow then why did you not put my money in the bank and have come, and having come, I would have collected it with interest. Then he said to the bystander, Take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. Phew. Here we have a case of a slave who views his master incorrectly. He sees his master through skewed understanding of the Lord. He saw him as a strict and harsh master alone. He saw his master as the harsh father waiting to backhand him any moment if the child does not produce. I find it interesting that the slave that saw their master as strict ended up failing to do anything with the value or with the mina that he had been given. Look, there's a huge lesson here for us. If we view God as only the holy, just, vengeful Lord waiting to destroy us, we will be paralyzed into not honoring the Lord with the gifts that He's given us. Do you see? If you see one side of who God is, justice, justice, without His understanding of who He is as a total Father of grace and kindness and goodness too, if you don't see both, you're going to be paralyzed and do nothing. If we view God as only the holy, just, vengeful God waiting to destroy us, we'll be paralyzed by what we, by, and we won't do anything to honor the Lord. In fact, if we have this view of the Lord, we will end up being judged by the very standard we expect out of God. This is a staggering thought. If we try to live up to God's perfect holy standard in and of ourselves, and we're always walking around, ooh, he's going to get me, he's going to get me, he's going to get me, we'll actually get it one day. That's a staggering thought. If you try to work your way to God based on that standard, then you will get that standard laid down on you one day. Don't go down that road. 
Trust in God. Know who He is. And it will free you up to serve Him joyfully. I tell you that everyone who has, more shall be given. But to the one who does not have, even what he does not have shall be taken away. Now when we see this, now let me ask you a question. When you see this, is there a part of you that says, man, that's just not fair. Or do you see it when he said, my money, why didn't you put it in the bank? My money. Do we have problems with that? Not if we have a correct view of God. It is his. It is the king's. All that we have is whose? His. If he decides, man, this is a radical thought. Go to the drive-thru. Go through the drive-thru with your kids. You ready? Pull up. Pull up to the drive-thru and say, I want two hot fudge Sundays. And you have four kids. Give two hot fudge Sundays to two of the children, and the other two don't get it. What is going to happen? Whoa! What are the kids assuming? Your money is their money. What you do with your money must be equal to all of them. Why do we do this? I mean, we're grappling with it right now. Considering buying a Christmas present, it's got to be exactly right. It's got to be even, parallel. Uh, and we're two dollars and fifty cents off. It's not parallel. It's not equal. Not fair. Ah, oh, this ain't fair. Give me a break. Whose money is it? God's. And He's given it to me, and I need to be a good steward with it. And if I decide to give two of them a hot foot sunny and two not, guess what? The two that didn't get it should look over the two and says, Man, that, that, that tastes good. I'm happy for you. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Dad, you're good. You gave two hot foot sunnies to get two of the kids. That's awesome, Dad. Yeah. That's good. Because after all, Dad, I deserve hell. That's all I deserve. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Thanks for not giving me what I really deserve. <laughs> Shoo! <laughs> See, we view the parable through tainted eyes. Painted eyes. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one of the hardest struggles as being a parent, isn't it? I'm completely convinced. If I'm all about being strict and harsh and tough and always correcting, always rebuking, I'm convinced my children are going to respond to me with obedience but without the heart. Oh, oh, for the day when my children obey me because they know the love of God. That's the day. 
that I long for. I don't want to just, I don't want them to love me. I don't want them to obey me just because I don't want to get their iPod taken away. Or a spanking. I want them to obey me because they see God's glory and they know how good he is. And I want to obey because he loves me. That's my goal as a parent, and that should be your goal as a parent too. Grace and discipline. Rebuke and encouragement. That's what our God's like. By the way, all he wants is a broken and heart, contrite heart, right? Just a humble heart. That's what we want. This slave saw God as a harsh and overbearing, and this slave ended up getting what he deserved. I can't stress to you enough, a right view of God will cause you to do great things for God. A right view of Christ, a full view of God, will cause you to joyfully obey the King. Finally, we see. Almost done. Ah, did you see that? Ah, see, there it is. <laughs> but these enemies of mine who did not want to reign over, want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Ladies and gentlemen, there's one part in this parable that I just can't quite grab my hands around and I get my mind around. And I'm going to leave it there for you. I'm just going to leave it. Was the second slave that got his mind taken away, was he an unbeliever or a believer? Don't answer out loud. Was he a believer or unbeliever? Half the commentators say he wasn't a believer. He was just a professing slave. The other half say, well, no, he got judgment. But when he went into heaven, it's pointing to the judgment seat of Christ and re losing reward. Which one is it? Don't know? Going to leave it for you. One thing I do know. One thing I do know. The citizens that rejected Christ as their king, the noblemen, they got punishment. No matter how you look at it, that's punishment. In my presence, slain. So ultimately, it's really about your own heart. <laughs> Where is your heart? Is Christ your king? Is he your Lord? If not, today is the day of salvation. See, the king came because he knew his slaves were unfaithful. He came to die for us. Praise God. <laughs> and he did what we couldn't do. Turn to him. 
receive Him as your King, trust Him as your Savior, and then follow Him with joyful obedience. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time and Your Word and Your kingship over us. Oh, Father, help us to examine our hearts, to know who you are, trust you for who you are, lean on you, and understand your amazing grace that we may serve you with joyful obedience. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.